second Bible reading is Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 to 9. From the Pew Bible, it's page 1219. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is God's words. Thank you, uh, Julie, for reading God's word for us this morning, and we're going to look at uh, this passage. We're going to ask uh, God to help us understand this word. I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open. Uh, to Galatians as well, please. That'll be Galatians chapter 3. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of the scriptures, that you've given your word revealed to us. We pray this morning that you would speak to us through this word, that you challenge our hearts, Lord. And Father, that we will submit to this word. For your word is living and active. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, friends, this morning we come back uh, we, we are in our series on Galatians, and uh, we will look at Galatians chapter 3, 1 to 9 this morning. I know we have a church luncheon as well, so we might extend the, the sermon this morning so that we'll be really hungry after the sermon. <laughs> hey, how's that? That'll be good. Well, the letter to the Galatians is a letter of sharp contrast. We know that, we've seen that. Um, the contrast is made between the true gospel taught by the Apostle Paul and that of the false teachers within the church. As we have noted so far in our study of Galatians, the false teachers are called the Judaizers. They had slipped into the churches and they taught another gospel where they said that non-Jews, that is, Gentile Christians, were required to have circumcision and follow certain dietary rules, regulations of the Old Testament, and also certain laws to become Christians. We need to understand this when we talk about dietary laws. For those who are Jewish, the dietary laws were very special for them. For us, it might not be the case. We can eat, uh, uh, what, chicken, pork, whatever, right? Even some might eat chicken feet, right? Not an issue. 
But for people in, in, uh, in, in, in Israel, right, food, they had certain dietary laws. And that was so significant for them because it indicated their relationship and their trust in God. And so when they became Christians, and Jewish and, and when others became Christians, uh, the Jewish people found it very difficult to accept the, non the Gentiles eating uh, certain foods. And they, they found that really hard because according to them, their dietary laws meant a lot about the reflection how they believed in God. So you can understand the cultural thing, you can understand the religious dynamic of this whole thing. It wasn't really easy. And we saw last week that Peter himself, he had a problem, did he not? And Paul had to confront Peter to his face. Imagine that conversation between Peter and Paul, uh, the clash of the titans. If only we were in that room, I wonder what we would have heard between two, these two great brothers confronting each other and Paul saying to Peter, Peter, you've got this whole thing wrong. And Peter saying, no, these are the dietary laws of the Old Testament. No, Paul, you got this right. No, it would be a real issue, okay? So there were those issues as well. The false teachers should adopt the ethnic badges. That is, yes, believe in Jesus, but live like a Jew. How's that? So according to these false teachers, faith had to be supplemented by works of law. Trusting in what Christ did for them had to be supplemented by what they can do for Christ. And according to them, it is God's work plus our works is what makes one right with God. And as I mentioned previously, the book of Galatians is a letter of immense freedom. Right? The freedom that we have and enjoy in Christ alone. There is no question about it that I'm sure all of us enjoy freedom, right? We want freedom, don't we? We want freedom of speech. We want freedom of expression of thought. We want freedom to live in this country. We want the freedom to democratically elect a government of our choice. If freedoms are restricted, we will feel very inhibited. And so freedom is a fundamental aspect of humanity a fundamental principle of humanity itself. And, but the gospel of Galatians is a great gospel of a great letter on freedom. And so uh, Tim Keller writing about the book of Galatians says this, says this, the book of Galatians is dynamite. It is an explosion of joy and freedom which leaves us enjoying a deep significance, security and satisfaction the life of blessing God calls his people into. You see that? It's an explosion of joy. It's an explosion of freedom and leaves us enjoying a deep significance and security and satisfaction. The life of blessing that God calls his people into. What a blessing that is, right? What a joy it is, friends. The explosion of joy. You see, sometimes in life, it's very difficult to have an explosion of joy. Yeah? When things are really going hard, when we feel so alone, when we feel so discouraged and despondent and everything else, what a great thing to know that we, as we trust the Savior, there is an explosion of joy and freedom which leaves us enjoying a deep significance and security. I find that immensely satisfying. I find that immensely liberating. I find it immensely joyful. 
that as I look to this amazing work of Christ, no matter what happens in my life and the circumstances around me, I know that this is the joy and satisfaction and the freedom that I have in Christ. What a blessing. And so as we come to chapters 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul goes on to further expand on this freedom and joy of the gospel. And he now moves into the historical and the theological arguments at length. There is a significant shift. There is the historical aspect brought into it. And the theological framework meeting both together in chapters 3 and 4. Where Paul deals with the issues of the law. He deals with the issues of freedom. He deals with the issues of how one should hold on to the clarity of the gospel. He deals with the subject of justification. You know what justification is? You know, pastors and preachers can use big words, right? Justification, sanctification, glorification, edification. You want me to keep going? That's, that's showing off, right? That's bragging. What is justification? Justification is a forensic term. It's a legal term. It's a forensic declaration. It is as if a judge declares the person non-guilty, right? Or takes the price for that person. It is God's declaration where God declares a person not guilty. His sins paid for once and for all. And so Paul deals with this. And so this becomes a crucial question. How is a person made right with God? And so this crucial question deserves a considered response. Why do I say it? It needs a considered response. Because our salvation is at stake if we get this wrong. Now let me say this. Let me refer to Martin Luther. This year, 500th anniversary of the, the Reformation, right? What a great, significant event in the world. According to Martin Luther, the, the, the great reformer, the teacher of justification by faith in Christ alone was the very cornerstone of the Reformation and our Reformed theology. Martin Luther was a student studying law and his father had great plans for his son to be a distinguished lawyer. But Luther became a monk. And as a monk, Luther would confess his sins. He would go to the confession box and he would stay there for three to four hours <laughs> confessing his sins. And the other guys thought, hey, Luther, you're doing this because you don't have to get involved with all the chores in the temple and you're hiding in the confession box. And by doing that, you're absconding all your work. Now imagine, friends, if I don't turn up on Sunday and you ask me why you didn't come, I'll be saying, I was praying. I am praying. How would you like that for a moment? So you can understand. Luther in his mind said, well, I am confessing my sins. May it be three, four, five hours. And in the end, you know what happened? The, the priest would say, Luther, come on. Go quickly with your confession. Make it quick. And then Luther would go back into his room. He would go back into his work. And then suddenly he's tormented again with his guilt and his sin. And back again to the confession. 
you see what's going on, friends. He struggled with the issue of how to be right with God. And I won't go into all of the details of Luther this morning. How can he pay for his sin? And so Luther, speaking on this subject of justification by faith in Christ alone, he says this. The doctrine of justification is this. That we are pronounced righteous and are saved solely by faith in Christ without works. Without works. That's it. That's it, friends. You know, the other day, on my usual walks, I meet all kinds of people. You meet dog lovers. You need, I meet other kinds of people, right? Well, there's a lady down my road. Uh, she's in her 70s. I often stop uh, at a place, and she's at the fence there. I have a chat with her. She's a single lady in her 70s. She does knitting sometimes in the front yard. <laughs> Just near the fence. So I ask her, what are you knitting? Uh, I know her name, but I'll say Jane for now. There's no Jane here. So, so, uh, maybe there is a Jane, but it doesn't matter. Uh, so Jane, what are you knitting, Jane? Oh, I'm knitting a jumper. I'm knitting this. And I nearly said to her, why don't you knit a beanie for me? That'd be so good. Anyway, so I got talking to this lady. I've spoken to her on many occasions. But for the first time, it was Good Friday, Easter. I was all fired up about the gospel, so I said, Jane, did you go to church on Good Friday? What did you do? What's Good Friday? What does it mean to you? What does Easter mean to you? I was on a roll, friends. A massive roll. I said, uh, have you been to church? I've been to church, Chris. The only time I went to church was when my brother got married. How many years was that? About 40 years ago. Have you ever been to church since then? No. I said, I go to Surrey Hills, Prezi. Do you know the church? Yes, I know the church. Why don't you come one day? Then I said to her, you know what Good Friday and Easter is all about? It's about Jesus dying for you, Jane. Jesus rising from the dead for you. Do you believe in this Jesus? Well, you know what she said to me? Well, she said, I live a good life. I don't harm anyone. I help my neighbors. And so I am right. Did you see that? Have you heard that being said to you? I am good. I live a good life. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't murder. I don't speed on the roads. That's a, probably a big lie. doesn't matter. I live a good life. And I said to her, how good are you going to be good tomorrow, Jane? How good is good for you? Man, this conversation was going full on. And I said, look, I'd love to talk to you sometime again about this. And you let me know what we can do to help you as a, as a lady in this place. You know, because we care for you. And that's where the conversation was. I haven't seen uh, the lady for a couple of weeks now, but hopefully we will meet again. So we have seen so far, friends, in our study of Galatians, that the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that the gospel or good news is God's news to a fallen world demonstrated through his son Jesus and that we are saved through faith in him alone. And so in our text this morning, we see Paul coming and he's speaking to these Galatians and it begins with the words, oh, look at your text. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you, only this, I'll come back to that in a moment. You see, Paul addresses them. He doesn't mince his words. And he says, oh, foolish Galatians. Why would Paul say, oh, foolish Galatians? 
Imagine, friends, imagine for a moment. If I get up here and say, oh, foolish St. Stephenites, what would you think of me? <laughs> would, you, would you shake my hand at the door or would you walk through the other door? Oh, foolish Galatians. You see, this word means you're lacking common sense. That's the, the original Greek translation would give us that word. You don't understand. One writer translates th th this word as mindless. Uh, John Wesley commenting on this phrase, he says this, Oh, thoughtless Galatians, mindless Galatians. You see, Paul cares for the Galatians. There is brothers and sisters in the Lord. We know that in, 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 in the letter, 3, 5, for example. But here he is so exasperated with them that he calls them, oh, foolish Galatians. Don't you get it? Don't you understand the gospel at all? Don't you understand what God has done for you? Don't you understand that there is no room for self-justification, no room for human effort to be made right with God? Don't you understand this? Oh, foolish Galatians. And then he goes on and he uses an interesting word. Who bewitched you? Bewitched. The word means to give someone the evil eye to cast a spell on you. Now, friends, I wonder whether anyone has seen or seen the, the, the TV show Bewitched. Have you seen that on your TV? Aha, uh -huh. yes. I have. I haven't seen it for a long time. I was always fascinated with that show because suddenly you have this bewitched, uh, the, 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 the lady uh, Elizabeth uh, Montgomery played the role of the witch named Samantha. Remember that? And she was married to a guy, it was a dorky guy, Darren. Right? And I was almost amused at the weird tricks she did by casting a spell on given situations. She would do a wink and things would change. <laughs> Just like that. And everybody was, what? What is this? Bewitched. And Paul is using this. This, this, this word and he says, who has casted, uh, cast the spell on you? Who bewitched you, Galatians? It's as if some kind of spell, some kind of evil eye has come over you. And as a result, you have lost sound judgment on the gospel. Now, why would Paul call them, oh, foolish Galatians, and ask the question, you bewitched? Because he says to them, look at your text. In 1b, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What a message that is. Paul had preached Christ, the person of Jesus. You see, friends, Christianity is about Jesus, the Son of God crucified at the cross for our sin. And Paul had preached Christ crucified. You know, if the preacher doesn't get anything across to you from this pulpit, I hope you'll be able to say at any time that St. Stephen's Presbyterian Church preaches Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Amen to that, right? Because that's not always proclaimed. That's not always proclaimed in churches as well, sadly. You see, Paul preached Christ. You see, the cross of Christ speaks. It speaks of God's profound love. It speaks of his amazing grace. It speaks of his justice. It speaks of his love and his justice met together in his son Jesus at the cross. Oh, Lamb of God, we sang this morning, right? Did you see that? 
think about the words. Oh Lord of God, for me, you died. That's the cross of Christ. It was as if Calvary itself was brought before their very eyes. And as I was contemplating on this text, and as I was looking at this text, friends, and as I reflected upon it this morning, I said to the Lord today, Oh Lord, I just thank you that you have portrayed the cross of Christ in your word, and I thank you for Jesus. That's it. Because life will have many challenges. Many things will come our way. Many distractions will come my way. But for me, it's the cross of Christ that by the grace of God that keeps me going daily. You see what I'm saying? Paul is saying, I preach the cross to you. You see, as if both Martin Luther and John Calvin, the great reformers, say that Paul painted Christ crucified before them so that they were without excuse. But now is it, it is as if they were bewitched and have lost all sound judgment on the gospel. What a sad situation. See, John Calvin says this. He puts it this way. Let us not be like the cow who having produced much milk then breaks the churn and spills its contents. Right. An interesting example, isn't it? Right. You see, friends, these churches that were planted by the Apostle Paul had departed from their understanding the gospel. And so it is so easy to be foolish and bewitched with some form of a fake gospel. Have you heard the phrase now, the new phrase in town, fake news? I've never heard about fake news about a year ago until Donald Trump came to the scene. Right? So everything is good news, fake news. Good news, right news, fake news. I don't know, sometimes distinguish between both. Do you know? What is fake and what is not fake? You see the gospel, Paul is saying, there is fake, there's a fake gospel going on. But you must know the real gospel, the real authentic gospel. Because that's what makes the difference in your life. I was reading some articles this past week on the prosperity gospel in preparation for this sermon. I won't go into all the details this morning. What a, what a thing we have, right? Prosperity gospel. Things like this. Come to Christ and you'll be rich. Come to Christ and you'll be happy. Come to Christ and know your best life. Come to Christ and you'll be promoted in your job. Come to Christ and you should be living the best life ever. People like that. What about the brothers and sisters in Christ in Syria? Our Christians. Where is the prosperity for them, right? What about the African brothers and sisters You think of parents, Christian parents who can't give a meal to their children to eat. I often think about that myself. If I was in that situation and I had food in front of me and my children was there and my wife, I will give that food to them, right? What do we say to Christians who are suffering? Anyway, so Paul is saying here, beware of being bewitched, don't be foolish, Beware of legalism. I'll touch on that next week. And so Paul goes on and he asks uh, rhetorical questions here. Look at verses 2 to, to 5. You can see there was the question, five rhetorical questions, right? Uh, you know what a rhetorical question means. It doesn't expect an answer. It's really more of an obvious uh, 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 question, right? It's something like this, can birds fly? Can birds fly? You know that they can fly. Or, or are you kidding me? Or for example, is a spicy curry hot? It's understandable, right? 
So Paul asked a series of rhetorical questions. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun with the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the spirit to you works and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Did you receive the spirit by works? You see, Paul is forcing the Galatians to recall how they became Christians in the first place. When they became Christians, they received the Holy Spirit at justification. I'll touch more on that as we go through the book of Galatians, okay? All believers in Christ have the Holy Spirit. Yes? Right? Because Paul says this, Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So did the Galatians receive the Holy Spirit by circumcision? No. Did the Galatians receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the Ten Commandments? No. Did the Galatians receive the Holy Spirit by observing certain dietary laws? No. Then how did they become Christians? By hearing with faith. That's the thing, friends. This is the only answer. Paul preached the gospel to them. The Galatians believed the message by the working of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit brought conversion and it was the work of the Spirit. So justification by faith in Christ alone and the receiving of the Holy Spirit goes together. That's it. So are you foolish, Paul says. Having begun by the Spirit, are you trying to be made perfect by the flesh? Are you trying human effort? And then, have a look at your text. That is, having the Holy Spirit, are you going to be made complete by keeping certain things? No. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if this was in vain? Paul may be referring to persecutions they face. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? See, the Holy Spirit, did. The, there were miracles at the time. It was the apostolic age. And things were done. And then Paul moves on. And he comes to a historical person now. Look at verses 6 to 9 in your Bibles. So also Abraham. You see in Genesis chapter 15, it reads, reads Abraham, right? And then becomes Abraham. Abraham. Now Abraham, look at me in verse 6. Paul mentions Abraham or Abraham, right? So Paul argued this truth. He gives us a historical example of faith by referring to Abraham. That's a very clever strategy. Why did he do so? What's the connection, friends? Who was Abraham? Well, let me tell you very quickly. You see, the false teachers were saying that, yes, it's okay to have faith in Jesus, but to be accepted by God, you had to become Jews or become a Jew. And so now, the fa- now, who is the father of the Jews? The father of the Jews is Abraham, right? And the nation of Israel began when God promised Abraham, Israel's ancestor, that God would make Abraham's descendants a great nation and they would live in the promised land, blessed by the Lord. Genesis chapter 12, you can never read of that. And now Paul is doing here, in a, what, what Paul is doing here in our text is, he refers to Abraham to make the point. This is the proof text. And the proof text is this, in Genesis 15 and verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. 
That's the point. Abraham. You get the point, Galatians. Abraham, the father, founder of the Jewish nation, believed God by faith and not works. And Abraham is the father of faith. He's the first Jew and the patriarch of Israel. And the Judaizers, the false teachers, knew of Abraham. And no wonder Paul connects this to Abraham. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. What a blessing that is, friends. Why is this? For many Jews, in their thinking, faith was something that God rewards to them. Jews thought that, the Ab that Abraham's faith is meritorious, rewarded for an act of believing as if it was righteousness. And Paul is refuting this. And he's saying, Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. Now, there are accountants here, right? You know the term. I see some of you smiling. You can give, me a, give a better explanation than me on this, I'm sure, right? It's an accounting term. It's a term of wages being credited to a worker. You look at your bank account, right? Every month or every week, if you're getting your salary, you see, has the money come in? Has the money come in? Right? And you go through and say, oh, so such and such an amount has been credited to my account. Now think for a moment, friends, with me, about credit cards. Uh, some of us, most of us, I'm sure, would be using it. Some of you may not. Now, when I use my credit card, you know what I'm doing, right? I know that, that some bank somewhere is going to pay for my bill because a certain amount of money has been credited to my account even though I may not have the cash to pay it, right? So you go pay pass, pay pass, right? Put my petrol. Do you want to tap the card? Yes, tap the card. It says approved. I'm happy because it's approved, <laughs> But I haven't actually paid for it. It's been credited. Some, some bank has paid that money for me. The point is, with credit cards, you've got to pay it back. <laughs> right? The more you use, the more you have to pay it back. Right? Now imagine for a moment a scenario. When you get your credit card statement and you see credited to your account $100,000. What would you do, friends? I know what I will do. What do you think I would do? Go and spend it? First thing, I'll call the bank, right? <laughs> That's the right thing to do, just to, just to make sure that everything is okay, right? I'll call the bank, find out, man, I've got 100,000 bucks put into my account. Is it okay? Is it legit? And they say to me, yeah, it's all fine. Some kind millionaire from St. Stephen's has put 100,000 in the account. <laughs> I put it in John's account as well. <laughs> uh, just, just joking. So the point is, I look at that, wow, that's amazing. That, and then I'll go and spend. I'll give the card to Rose and she'll spend it all. So, it's no <laughs> so you see what I'm saying? But, 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 you know, friends, when you believe God, he credits to our account something a million times more valuable than money. Is that not the case? Right? God credits the righteousness of Jesus to my spiritual account. I am bankrupt, absolutely spiritually bankrupt. And God does something amazing. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. No time to unpack this this morning. Right? This is what they call, theologians would call this, I'm just letting you know, double imputation. Okay, It's called double imputation. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is friends. God has credited all my sin unto Jesus. 
and Jesus has credited all his righteousness to me. What a blessing that is. And God declares me right with God because he has done it all. What a blessing that is, friends, this morning. You see, this is what we call the gospel of God. This is the gospel of grace. That Jesus' death for you on the cross, his resurrection, is your sin atoned for. You know, this past week, someone, uh, I was writing this, this message, and uh, I had a call. This person's not here, this place, don't worry who it is. I won't be using you as examples, never, because that's not right. Okay, and the person called me and said, my business is putting stress on me. I've lost confidence. It's a Christian person. I'm writing this, I'm, I'm in the middle of this sermon. And I thought to myself, I listened and listened and listened. As the conversation went on, I could sense the tears from the, on, the, on the other side of the phone. I put the phone down and I called back after five minutes. I prayed and I called back. And I said to this person, you, your confidence is going down. I can sense that over the phone. I know you, there's challenges that you are facing. But I said to this person, remember this. Remember this. That as a Christian, our confidence is in Christ. Our identity is in Christ Jesus. And I want to encourage you today to remember this. To know whatever happens. And sometimes we might lose confidence, right? You go for a job interview, it doesn't work out. You have a, a project to do, you get a bad mark. You're working in your place, your boss gives you a tough time. And it brings your confidence down, right? Sometimes. You see, that's because our identity is not tied here with my work. My identity is tied in Christ who lifts you up. Who says, you are mine. I have died for you. My life has been given for you. I have justified you. I have put my spirit in you. You are mine. And may God encourage you this morning. If you feel depressed, if you feel downcast, if you're feeling the pressure, and it's like a pressure cooker. I've never used a pressure cooker. I would love to use a pressure cooker to cook, right? I watched MKR, and I've seen those guys open the pressure cooker, right? Imagine your life, it's like a pressure cooker at times. And the pressure is building inside this, 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 this pot pot that is being cooked here, whatever it is. And you release the valve and boom, it goes out. You see, God understands it. You see, that's what we need to see here, friends. There's a painting. There's a painting by a person called Enric Lays. 1815 to 1869, which is called Women Praying at the Crucifix near St. James in Antwerp. The women in this painting are portrayed with much detail, with careful attention given to every fold in their clothes. The background was painted to show the beauty of the garden by the church wall. But there was one thing missing, and it was the cross. So Enric shows the women at worship, but they're not worshiping the Christ they had come to worship. And so now comes along the Dutch artist and critic, Hans Rumacher. I hope I got that pronunciation right. And he asked the question when he looked at this painting. So what do we see in this painting? People from a past period full of faith, reverent, praying, but we do not see the object 
of faith, Christ crucified. Huh. What a great Dutchman, right? He detected that. Friends, is this not the problem sometimes in the Christian life as well? It is so easy to lose sight of Jesus, who is the object of our faith. So, saving faith is faith in God's provision and not in our human effort at all. It is entirely by the intervention of Christ. Still, we see here in the text, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw and God, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So believe in God and you will be credited as righteousness. So this morning, I don't know whether you believe in the Lord or not. But if you don't, this morning I plead with you to believe. No works, just believe. And then, their faith are the children of Abraham. You know, I remember when I became a Christian, I, I didn't do much singing, but when I became a Christian, I, I learned this song. I, I told you this many times, I've never been to kids' church, never. Never been to a youth group in my life, right? I'm still marveled as to how I'm standing here. Actually, it's, it's amazing. But this is what I, I learned. <laughs> this is what I sang in my, uh, uh, with all other students, 1,500 students or so. And this is what I learned. Father Abraham, I have no idea about this. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons said, Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. How is that for a rendition this morning? Huh? Come on. And then it says, right arm, left arm, right leg, left leg, all that kind of things, right? You see, the point is, as we believe, this is what we see. That, that song is actually from this text. The Bible foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through you. I'll touch more on this next week, in our, in next time on the study. So this morning, as we conclude, don't be fooled. Don't be bewitched by false gospels or by the notion that we can gain merit for our salvation in Christ. Remember to be grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ for here lies true freedom and joy and peace and happiness and hope and comfort and strength for every day because this Savior has died for you. Here lies the confidence and identity. Will you believe God this morning and act on it? Abraham did and so should we. May God encourage your heart this morning. I'm going to pray a prayer. If you are not a Christian here this morning, please pray this prayer quietly and see either John or myself would love to talk the gospel through with you. Alright? Let me pray. Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of re rebellion against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me 
and change me so that I may live with Jesus as my Savior. Amen.